It's time to think bigger. Elias Pedersen scores! And think bolder. Matthew Kachuk, what a goal! This is Rintoul and Sermon. Another chance, great save by Markstrom. There is shot me back, great save by Timko. On the Sportsnet Radio Network. What is up? Welcome to Rintoul and Sermon with neither Scott Rintoul or Karen Sermon, both taking some much earned and deserved time off. It is uh, Bick Nazar and Jamie Dodd with you. I'm making my debut in uh, Sportsnet in Calgary. Uh, so be kind. Be kind. Uh, <laughs> you're you're a multi-provincial radio yeah. star now, Bick. You yeah. know you're 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 doing your thing here in Vancouver, and now the good people in Calgary get a get a taste of the Bick Nazar experience. Uh, I'm I'm finally uh, stretching my wings. Uh, if you don't know, uh, traditionally the host on Canuck Central and Bick and the Boss on uh, Sportsnet 650. Happy to be on Sportsnet 960 today. Uh, I, I'm pumped. I, I've been trying to tell some people in uh, uh, Calgary to uh, tune in uh, because. You know, online, you know, Canucks Twitter gets a certain reputation as one of the most active. Yes. The most fervent uh, online community. I I will admit. So because that one has a reputation for for the fans and listeners in Calgary, the Fan960 text message inbox has a reputation as well. So I'm excited to be part of this today. You can always text in 960-960-650-650. So I'm excited to just finally share the experience in Calgary. Yeah, the, the Calgary inbox can bring the heat. There's no doubt about that. It can it. bring the heat. So I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. But I mean, I should point out, it, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is, you know, it's your first time on Sportsnet 960, but it's it's a return to the, the Alberta airwaves, right? You've been on yes. you, your radio career passed through Alberta at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, I was I was massive in Grand Prairie. Massive. So there you go. If we if we have any listeners who used to be in Grand Prairie, I'm sure their their ears are perking up. Is that Bick Nazar's voice? Let's go. The very the very same one. Uh it, it's been a busy weekend uh, in the NHL. The draft fall, uh, wraps up and to me like the draft is now the new transactional standard. Right, trade deadline, yeah. it gets hyped up, and sometimes we're left wanting more. Uh, July first, traditionally, to this year, July twenty eighth, start a free agency. We've gotten to a point in our collective sports knowledge, our fandoms, that we know, hey, don't spend money on the first day of free agency. It can end really badly, and the, there's almost a sense of you know fear going into that opening day of, I hope I don't see my team as much as you want to make the sexy. Uh, free agent signing, you kind of don't want to see $70 million slapped around on a 29-year-old player, and you're thinking, oh, boy, that's going to end badly if we don't win a cup in the next three years. Draft but, weekend is, like, full of hope and promise. And it's like, yeah, hey, you're drafting these these 18-year-old kids, and you're excited about the future, and all these trades are flying around because everyone's got maximum cap space. Like, it, 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 to me, is the funnest two days now in the NHL calendar. Well, and that's when so many of the big names get dealt and the big deals go down, right? Is right around the draft. And, you know, it's just funny what you're saying. And obviously, I'm stoked for free agency coming up on Wednesday. Really excited to cover that. But, you know, there is this awareness that, oh, it's actually usually a mistake to go out and splash big money out on, on day one of free agency. But you know this as well as I do, right? There's also the, the flip side of that is even though fans know that, if your general manager doesn't do anything on day one of free agency, it's, 
why the heck isn't he doing anything? All these other teams got better. Why didn't they do anything? So I do find that dynamic kind of funny, right? Where your mind knows it's better to wait, but sometimes your heart is like, hey, wait a second. Why aren't we doing anything here? Yeah, 100%. And so overdraft weekend, while there's some transaction that goes down, and yeah, it's about hope and promise, um, does come with a certain element of pressure. And we saw a lot of trades go down. Obviously, Seth Jones get moved and, and a bunch of others. And he, he gets this massive contract as well. But to, to you, Jamie, and, and here's where we're going to start. You can chime in as well. 960, 960, 650, 650 on your text message inboxes. Uh, who took on the most pressure on draft weekend? And I, I think there's a few candidates here. And we'll go through them. But, you know, I, I think leading off for me is the big trade in Vancouver was you know Jim Benning sending out ninth overall Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel to bring in Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland, and that's all well and good, right? And, and there's already an ex- extreme amount of pressure on Jim Benning. I don't think he added any more. You know who I think took on a lot of pressure is Travis Green. Now, he's been on the job for some time. Now he's got no excuses. He's got no dead weights on the roster. We can argue about Ekman Larson and the contract, but as far as on the ice, there's still an expectation on Travis Green to get more out of him. And now there's no more, what are they going to do? Like, how do you find minutes for Jay Beagle? What role do you play him in? Louis Erickson, he can't do anything with the roster because Louis Erickson is on the team. All of that is washed away. And I think the biggest person who took on the most pressure this weekend is Travis Green because a lot of the excuses that are built into the roster are now gone. You look at the top nine, you think that's a real NHL top line. Once they yeah. once they start you know, re-signing all these guys, it's Miller, Pedersen, Besser, Pearson, Horat, Hoaglander, Garland, Dickinson, Pudkolzin. Like that's really exciting. That you know, for for a lot of coaches, they would love to have a have a top nine like that. And the excuses are starting to fall away. Travis Green, immense level of pressure heading into next season. And they made just a small shuffle with the assistant coaches in the offseason, right? Didn't didn't turn over the entire uh, staff of assistants, which is often a really bad sign for the head coach, but did make the one change. So you, you feel like that maybe just ratchets up the pressure with Travis Green a little bit. And you're right, the the roster, and again, just put put the future cap considerations aside for a second but just looking at this upcoming year the roster is going to be significantly better and it's it's everything you said right you're not trying to find sheltered minutes for for Jay Beagle you've got a legit third line center which they really haven't had here in Travis Green's tenure the talking point really for so long with Travis Green in this market has been yeah the results haven't been bad but what do you expect he's getting the most out of this team and that was highlighted probably most clearly when they went on their little run in the bubble and were able to beat the St. Louis Blues. But there's been other times, too. I know last year they struggled for a lot of the season, but there's been other times in his tenure where you can look at it and say, hey, he is getting the most out of this team. Well, getting the most out of this team that it looks like he's going to have when training camp opens in September, that's a lot different than getting the most out of a team that's not expected to be in the playoff race, right? Which is where the Canucks have been for most of his time in Vancouver. So, The pressure is absolutely ratcheted up on Travis Green, and I'm really curious to get your take on this, Bic, as well as our listeners, 650, 650, 960, 960. You know, I have very much been on the side of Jim Benning is not going to get to hire another coach in Vancouver, right? That if the coach is being fired, that means it's going to be a sign of an overall regime change, a direction change, and someone else is going to be making the hire to replace Travis Green. But Has that changed for you at all, right? Like, if they stumble out of the gate here and it's December and they've just fallen flat on their face, 
Do you think there's a chance that Jim Benning gets to play one more coaching change card in his time as as Vancouver's general manager? I, I think the volume of moves and the high risk level of moves is if you make one decision, you make both decisions. I, I just think we're just going to get to that stage if things go badly. Everyone got a, a chance to start anew. It, it was a, a put on pause season for Vancouver last year or you know, evaluations really weren't made based on what happened the last 56 games. It was, we're, we're closing the taps. Let's just get through it and we'll reevaluate and reinvest come next off season. And now that investment has started obviously with high leverage trades, like what we saw over the weekend. If, if anything goes badly, you know, as Elliot Friedman talked about in the 31 thoughts, heads will roll. And I just think, this has to work. This is the last card. They're all in, and this is and this has to work. Uh, that's who's leading the most pressure for me after draft weekend. Who is it for you? Yeah, and I just want to get this one in first from Jack M. in Coquitlam. He says, if the Canucks aren't above 500 at 30 games into next season, you fire him right then. They need to take the beginning of the season more seriously. No more, no more excuses. Be ready. Be in shape for training camp. That's from Jack M. in Coquitlam. I think that's an interesting take. Because I think you're probably closer to what's going to happen, right? If if this falls apart, I think you're looking at everyone going. You're looking at Benning. You're looking at Green. I don't. I still don't know if Jim Benning is going to get the chance to make that coaching change uh, rather than a different general manager coming in. But we'll see. And I mean, maybe it works out great, and they don't even have to consider that. Maybe everyone is celebrating the job Travis Green is doing come December or January. But you know, look, we're on in. Vancouver and Calgary Bick, obviously. So you, you could accuse us of pandering a little bit here, but I don't think so because the guy, one of the guys I think is under the most pressure right now in the NHL is the Calgary Flames general manager, Brad Trey Living. Because if you remember when the Flames missed the playoffs and their season ended and they did the all the end of season media availabilities, you know, Brad Trey Living didn't beat around the bush. He was very, very upfront about what he wanted to accomplish in this offseason, what he felt he needed to accomplish to get the team on a better track, right? He said it. I'm going to shake up this core. He he basically guaranteed that they were not going to return with the same core they currently have in Calgary. And it's easy to understand why, right? There's a lot of good pieces on the Flames, but you just think they're lacking that high-end talent to truly become a contender. So it's no surprising that he fe- no surprise that he feels that way. But the thing is, I mean, it just hasn't happened yet. Obviously, there's still time, but as you detailed off the top of the show, the draft is quite frequently where those big swings happen. And we've seen a lot of those big swings. So many deadlines are passing, right? It's, it's yeah. the expansion draft protection list. And now it's the draft and here comes free agency. And this is like the most reckless deadline coming up. And it's not as if it's been quiet around the league. There's been some massive moves around the NHL already. Already. They just haven't involved the Calgary flames. Now there's still time, right? There, you can still make big deals. And obviously there's a, the biggest name on the trade market is still out there in Jack Eichel. And we should point out that, uh, in his blog last night, Elliot Friedman says Calgary is one of three teams right now leading the Jack Eichel sweepstakes along with Anaheim and Minnesota. But to be fair, Friedman also points out that that's a very fluid situation. So I wouldn't put a lot of stock into that. We can get a little bit more into whether Calgary has the has the pieces to land Eichel. But just the fact that they really haven't done anything, even at the margins, to shake up the team. I mean, they lose Mark Giordano, which was expected, but... There hasn't been any significant change in Calgary so far. And again, given what Brad Trey Living said going into the offseason, I think there's a lot of pressure to make some big, big swings in Calgary here over the next few days. 
960-960 into the text message inbox, uh, unsigned text. My couch took an amount, immense amount of pressure this weekend. I uh, just ate junk food all weekend watching the draft. Well done. Well done. Support the cause. Uh, <laughs> well, you look, you got the draft, you got the Olympics. There's yeah. a lot of a lot of prime couch time available to everyone this weekend. 100%. Keep your thoughts coming in. 650-650 or 960-960. Uh, I'm going to, uh, to the Rangers. I know he's new on the job, but Chris Drury, like, there's a bit of pressure there. Uh, making the trades he did, you know, bringing in Goudreau, okay, that's a good thing, especially at that cost. But the Buchnevich and Sammy Blade trade, to me, kind of scratched my head. I get that they're trying to be tougher. I get that they're trying to execute a certain vision. But, you know, if this toughness idea doesn't work out, it's not exactly they've as if they've got, like, this stable owner that's, like, willing to see out a vision. Like, this, again, taking on pressure is following through on your vision here, and it, it has to work out. Drew is going to be given some runway, obviously, because he's new on the job, but their intention was to get tougher, to, to battle with Tom Wilson, essentially. And they're they're trying to go about it. I just worry that are they sacrificing a certain amount of skill to still not get into the playoffs? That's that's such a red flag of a direction for a franchise for me, right? Like to let to let Tom Wilson dominate your long term strategy. You know, it's one thing to have a game plan for a guy like that, you know, in an individual game or a playoff series, or if he's a division rival, okay, you gotta account for how you're gonna handle him. But Tom Wilson should not be driving the long-term shape of your team and of your roster and the players that you're identifying and trying to acquire. So, I mean, yeah, there is a lot of pressure on Chris Drury, but they've kind of put it on themselves by going down that route, right? Like, I mean, Bick, we've seen it here in Vancouver how that ends up, right? What was all the talk when Jim Benning was hired? It was, oh, we got to follow the Boston model. They pushed us around in 2011, and that's the kind of team we have to be, and hasn't worked out too well. I, I just think letting another team or another individual player get in your head like that and rattle you, it, it's just not its not what you should be doing. That's not how you should be running an NHL team. But, yeah, it does create a certain amount of pressure on Drury to deliver in that way. Uh, all right, let's wrap this up. Who's the, uh, the, the next for you? So I got a couple. Uh, well, I'll go with um, Ron Francis. And we're going to talk about the Seattle Kraken a little bit more coming up here, I know. But – we were all waiting for a major splash, right, from Seattle. Yeah. Like, expectations were very, very high. And maybe you can look back at the process and say, well, they are actually unfairly high because it's the second time around and general managers have gotten a lot smarter. The league knows how to handle it better. But the roster is underwhelming for me uh, anyways. Not that there's no good players, but the roster is underwhelming. You know, we were all waiting to see, okay, well, they must have made some side deals, got some draft compensation. Nope, no side deals. The one deal they made when the trade freeze lifted is they send Pitlick to Calgary for a mid-round pick. Okay, that's fine. Not exactly a big, sexy splash, though. And so now they're going into free agency. They've got all of this draft, uh, this cap space available. But is that really, like, for me, in order to make this expansion process a success for Seattle, like, they would have to sign, I don't know, Dougie Hamilton and Gabe Landeskog or something like that, right? But beyond that, who are, who, how are they using this cap space to make it worth hoarding all of it rather than taking some good players that were available to them? And again, you look around the league, teams like Arizona have been aggressively taking on bad cap money in order to accumulate future assets. Seattle hasn't been able to do that yet. Right now, they've got all of this cap space, but that cap space only matters if you do something useful with it. They've still got free agency, obviously, but 
I don't know, is splashing big on free agency really the most prudent way to build your franchise when you're just coming into the league? I Look, again, I don't want to... I don't want to say it's been a disaster so far for Seattle, but I think it's fair to say it's been very underwhelming so far, and they're running out of time to turn it around. Uh, we'll get into the Seattle thing later with EJ Raddick, who will join us as well, because I, I think it's a bit overstated of how uh, how much they screwed up the expansion draft process and, and what options they have moving forward. I, I think there's still going to be plenty of opportunities for them. Is there anyone on the ice that we look at and says, uh, and we can say, took on some pressure this weekend? The name that comes to mind for me is Seth Jones, because... That was a massive, massive package that Chicago gave up to get him with some really good assets. And then they turn around and they sign him just a huge long-term deal, right? And I know a lot of people are still very high on Seth Jones. There's questions about what his impact has been in Columbus over the last couple of seasons. Is he already on the decline, even though he's not that old yet? I think those are fair questions, but... I mean, Chicago is really kind of staking, in some ways, the future of the franchise, certainly the future of their blue line, on getting an elite Seth Jones for the next five, six, seven years at least. And look, maybe that puts more pressure on Chicago's front office. I know we'll get to them in a little bit here anyways, but you got to think that puts a ton of pressure on the player's shoulders as well, right? When a team gives up that much for you and then signs you to that kind of deal, yeah, expectations are going to be very, very high for Seth Jones. Uh, we'll, we'll jump into the inbox here, 960, 960, talking about which teams took on the most pressure. And this is one more, obviously, that we're all going to be talking about. And Kenny texts in, I think Mark Bergman under some pressure for his first round pick. Uh, my view is Mark trying to help a young man turn his life around from making an ugly mistake. And it, it, it like this one, it blew us all away. I, I don't think anyone expected uh, the Montreal Canadiens to draft the player that they did. And... On, a, on such a you know, positive news week, the, the league you know had the Seattle expansion draft. There were so many, like all these trades buzzing about, and everyone was so excited, and, and you were ingesting the content. And then right there, pick 31, that pick gets made, and it was like the wind gets taken out of the sails. It was a punch to the gut of the, the momentum that was happening, and I was floored. I was ready, you know, by, by that time. By that time in my work day, I was done. You know, I was, I was done halfway through the draft yeah. and, and getting ready to settle the rest of the day. And my phone just pop, 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 just going nuts as soon as that pick was was selected. And you're just thinking, here we go. And you want, yeah, you want to talk about inviting the most pressure? Absolutely. Mark Mark Bergevin and the Montreal Canadiens uh, took on a lot of pressure this weekend. Well, and they took on pressure and they erased so much goodwill. Right. Like they were as popular and as well liked and as well respected as a franchise as they've been in what? I mean, 25, 30, no, not 30 years because they won the cup in 93, but pretty much since then, really coming off that incredible run and coming back to beat the Leafs. Like people were loving all things Montreal Canadiens and they threw it out the window. They threw all of that out the window with that one pick. And it was such a shocking moment, Vic, and you're right, happening right at the end of the draft like that after what had been a really entertaining draft. You know, they pull it off virtually again this year. It was expansion draft weekend. There's so many good things happening for the sport, and then that just put such a, a negative exclamation point, in a way, on it. And I thought that the the Logan Mayu question was probably settled 
when he released that statement saying, listen, I'd prefer not to be drafted. Not that there was zero chance he was going to get drafted after that, right? Because I know, you know, he can't actually take himself out of the draft, right? That was just more symbolic than anything. And I mean, we're seeing now he doesn't intend to follow through on that. But I thought that would at least push NHL general managers away enough to, you know, maybe he goes in the sixth or seventh round or something like that. But for it to happen in the first round, and on, for Montreal, yeah, national TV and all that yes, sort of stuff, just with the all the the pomp and circumstance that goes into a first round draft pick, right? And you get up and you announce it, and you're supposed to be you're supposed to be adding a cornerstone piece to your franchise, right? That's what everyone is trying to do in the first round. That's how the broadcast treats it. And it was just, oh man, did they actually do that? Did they actually do that? And then they were completely unprepared to talk about it, which is somehow even more surprising, right? Like you got to know what's coming for you. If you make that pick, and they appeared to have no idea how people were going to react, they looked unprepared, right? And, and even post completely, like when they were talking afterwards, you know, explaining their whole process, it looked unprepared. And for a team, you know, even going back to last offseason, and by and large, you would say through the Mark Bergevin era, just just you know, hockey transactions has shown a lot of conviction in their moves. This kind of followed that suit, but you have to understand the scope of what you're selecting here. Uh, that if you decide to make this decision organizationally, you have to be prepared. And and I'm not saying, hey, they should have made the pick and, you know, follow suit and all this sort of stuff. My, my preference was don't make the pick. Just move on. The, the kid himself is wishing to not be selected. Follow suit on his wishes. They didn't do that, and they just looked unprepared for the entire thing. And I'm really surprised. And then you consider the backdrop of Chicago right after. It just... You want to have you know you want to be excited. We were just talking about after the you know the, the draft weekend filled with hope and promise. You want to be excited, and it just didn't live up to it. And I mean, uh, even just that. the the basic question which we saw from you know their scouting director when he was talking to the media. You know, you have to know. Question number one is: This player said he's not ready to be drafted. Why do you disagree with that? Right? Like that is question number one, and they had, they didn't have an answer. Like ah, I don't know. I, I don't know, we wanted to draft him. Well, that's not a good enough answer. Yeah, 100%. Dick Nazar, Jamie Dodd filling in today for Scott Rintoul and Karen Sermon. should say all week long we are filling in. We'll get to a bunch more. The Olympics, are you checking it out? Uh, and also just some uh, news here as we went through uh, uh, the waiver period ending uh, f- from the previous day's uh, transactions. So Jake Vertanen uh, has been officially bought out by the Vancouver Canucks. And also, while we were just talking there, Sam Bennett uh, has signed a four-year, 4.4 AAV contract with the Florida Panthers, uh, restricted free agent now getting a four-year deal on a, on a short stint in Florida. So we'll talk about that moving forward. And also, uh, the thing that went viral all weekend, Tom Brady cheating again, this time on social media. Please tell me you did not get duped by this video. Uh, we'll, we'll bring it up with that and Verk. We'll be back in a bit. Pick Nazar, Jamie Dodd, filling in on Rintoul and Sermon. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Welcome back to Rintoul and Sermon. Scott and Karen off this week. So you get myself, Bick Nazar, host of uh, Canuck Central, normally on Sportsnet 650. Uh, filling in this week, though, with, with Scott and Karen. And with me, voice you're familiar with, Jamie Dodd, uh, producer of the Rintoul and Sermon Show. But the two of us. On air this week, uh, thank you for the early love coming into the inboxes, 650-650, or 960-960 in Calgary. A uh, big shout-out to all of you, and a, a big shout-out to our guy, Chris Wall, uh, tuning in 
uh, and sending yes, us a message. Absolutely. Recently moved, uh, our former co-worker, but recently moved to Calgary to take up uh, with the WHL. So uh, big shout out to Chris Wall. Sending us a tweet. Uh, you can always get involved again uh, at Bix650 online uh, or at Jamie Dodd on Twitter. Hold on, just uh, because uh, if Walsey is listening, and I, I, I love Walsey, he's my guy. You know, every time when, when he used to work here at 650, we'd see each other. We would always talk about our love for pizza. So I don't know. I don't know if Walsey has found like his pizza spot in Calgary. But if anyone in Calgary has recommendations, help him out. Best, pe- best pizza spot in the city. Hit us up nine sixty nine sixty, and we'll pass them along to our buddy. That is peak office small talk. Of just like, hey man, like, did you have any good slices this week? No, it was usually more like him being like, because uh, he worked the morning shift, right? So he would finish, you know, yeah, like eleven thirty, yeah, yeah. and he'd be like. Jamie, I'm going to I'm going to crush a pepperoni pizza when I get home right now. I was like, that's awesome, Walsey. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> uh, Vic Nazar, Jamie Dodd here. We're going to connect with Adnan Verk here in just a second. Uh, did you see the video? Tom Brady put it out on uh, Twitter and oh, Instagram yeah. and everywhere. Like, we all know this is fake, right? I know a lot of people like immediately it's like, oh, my God, how is he doing this? And if you haven't seen it, it's the the jugs machine where you're standing in front of the, you know, someone usually feeds balls into it and there's two wheels spinning and it shoots the ball out and receivers, you know, practice to catch it. He's standing in front of it and he throws a ball where the ball is supposed to come out and it like goes in, pops back to Tom Brady, jogs back a couple of yards and does it all over again and it's like, Oh my God! This guy—the accuracy is so unbelievable. We all know this is fake, right? Like, I hope so. I hope so. And I look—it's so funny because you want to question everything you see on the internet, right? Or at least you should want to question. But then I find almost sometimes I feel like—am I being too cynical here? Like, have I been trained so hard that now I go the other way and I just 100%. assume everything is fake? But this is fake. Like, even with that instinct, you know, in the back of my head, this is yeah. fake. And, like, look, rule of life. Some people are just more special. They, they have more talent. I get it. And Tom Brady, one of the chosen few in the world. Like, everything he does, he can do Saturday Night Live. He can do a presidential address. And he can, you know, win Super Bowls. And, and maybe, just maybe, he's got enough arm strength to fire it back into the jugs machine. And it's all good. And he can make this great viral video and just be an internet sensation. But it is fake. There's no way it is not fake. I, I, I want to get Adnan's opinion on this. Because Adnan's a TV guy, right? He, he knows all about video editing. He's been in the industry forever. He's, uh, of course, obviously with the NHL and MLB Network and the GM Shuffle podcast. Adnan, take me through this. Like, it, this is the guy, the tuck rule. This is the guy with deflated footballs. Now he's on Twitter and Instagram. Tell me. Tell everyone else. This has got to be fake, right? <laughs> I love the fact, Vic, you are the sleuth. You are the one looking to uncover this and say, listen, I know you all get duped by the magic of Tom Brady, but it's a ruse. It can't be believed. I'm with you. It's too unbelievable to be believable. The timing with which he's catching the ball and throwing it back in the jugs machine. Listen, that jugs machine is no joke, okay? I've, I've stood along NFL sidelines, see the way that ball gets shot out there, and it's pretty intense. I just can't imagine, even with his skill set, to have that kind of aim that kind of accuracy. I know he's Tom Brady. I know he's a genius. I know he's a magician. But this time, the magic lies in the editing, not in Brady's excellence. So who? Okay, who are the best social media athletes right now, though? You know, KD's got the burners. I, I will say, like, I, I'm impressed by Tom Brady to put this out there, and it, you know, it goes viral, and we all marvel how great he is once more. Like, who do you are the best social media athletes right now? Well, I'll tell you this, Vic. About Brady, what I really liked is he's embraced, I think, more of himself. 
I think in New England, maybe just because the way that climate was, and this isn't necessarily negative, but it's team before self and park your personality at the door. And now he's kind of been freed of that. You know, the shackles are gone. And so, you know, if he wants to kind of take a couple of jabs at Joe Biden when he's at the White House, he can do that. If he wants to, uh, you know, have his sea legs while he's celebrating a championship coming off a boat in Tampa, he can do that. So I feel like Tom's even shown more of his personality and uh, at times taking shots of the quarterbacks. And that's right. That's who he is. So in terms of the best social media guys, I generally think the NBA guys are really good just because they're all over Instagram and they've got whole teams and armies that can do that stuff. So whether it's Durant or Giannis or LeBron, like I think that that kind of cadre of players are probably the best ones. Of course, my boy Federer, I love his social media. <laughs> it's always great seeing Roger all over the place, all over the world, globetrotting. And him and Nadal have had lots of funny moments together as far as, you know, trick shots and wild stuff that Brady was showcasing. But I generally feel like the NBA guys are, are really kind of ahead of the curve when it comes to best social media. Yeah, and on Brady, I mean, I really can't think of an athlete who's who's won a breakup with a team as decisively as Brady has so far, winning the breakup with uh, the New England Patriots. And, you know, speaking of breakups in the NFL, we've been expecting one for a while now between Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay. Now his his best target there, Devontae Adams, on the back, they're posting last dance memes. I mean, can you believe that this has, you know, dragged on this long and is somehow growing and starting to now suck in more star players in Green Bay, all this drama? Yeah, I'm only surprised on this level. Like, I knew Rodgers was legit. Like, he's not the kind of guy, I think, to play possum. I think when he's angry, he's legitimate about this. But this has gone on since April in the draft. And as we all know, it's always kind of uh, blather until push comes to shove, until training camp actually starts. So the last four months, I was going, like, ah, whatever. You know, each guy's going to say what they want. But what's going to matter is when training camp starts. And to be honest, when you're a player of Rodgers' capability, what really matters is September 8th or whenever the season begins. That's when it's put up or shut up. So up until now, I've been amused by it. But here is my first truly raised eyebrow. When I read, according to Adam Schefter's report, the Packers offered him a five-year contract that will make him the highest-paid player in football, and he said no. It's my contention, Bick and Jamie, that a lot of this can be solved by money. You know, it's like uh, it's like when Johnny Sachs says that after the insult Ginny in The Sopranos. And he goes, every time, is it about the money? And it's like, well, yeah, generally it is the money. Every situation can be solved by money. Hurt feelings, grudges, resentments will pay you a boatload, and then can you forget about it? Fine. Because we're not going to fire Goonquince, the GM, Aaron, just because you don't like him. But tell you what. You're the MVP, and you're right that you should be paid as much as anybody, even though one would argue Mahomes should get paid more or Lamar Jackson or, you know, a great young star. Screw it. You deserve it, man. You've been awesome. You you have been the Packers. You have been our entire legacy. Five-year deal. You're going into your early 40s, highest-paid player in football. For him to say no to that, I kind of went, okay, maybe this is my first sign that the uh, iceberg is in front of us, and I'm not sure exactly how Green Bay is going to avoid it. My prediction I don't think he plays right away. I just think he's pretty, you know, stuck in his heels right now. But I also don't think the Packers trade him. And I think it would be insane, fellas, to trade him because you're not going to get fair market value for Aaron Rodgers. No matter what trade you make, you're going to end up saying to yourself, wow, we should have done a lot better than we did. So when you're not going to be satisfied with the trade, you know, why be forced into it? Uh, that's what Rodgers is banking on, that they're going to be forced into it. But honestly, guys, I, I don't think Aaron, I don't think he gets traded because they realize that you're not going to get fair value for him. And I don't think Rodgers will report to camp because he's just so frustrated right now. 
what team should be more nervous right now, Green Bay or a team like Arizona? They've had Chandler Jones now, you know, request a trade. And they're, like, here's a franchise that's been waiting to push through to get to that next level with this next core. And, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is tweeting out last weekend about the vaccine. And now Chandler Jones wants out. Like, these are star-level players that I'd be a little concerned if I was Arizona. Yeah, you know, Arizona's a tricky one. I love Cliff Kingsbury because he looks like Ryan Gosling and his house is palatial and you're like, man, this guy's got life by the you-know-what. But at the same time, the knock on him, you know, in all my years when I was covering college football at ESPN was he's a brilliant offensive mind, but defensively he's lacking. And in some ways people were surprised he got the call to the NFL because his defense has always been suspect. But the thought was, no, but he's a brilliant offensive mind. You get him a great defensive coordinator and they'll figure things out. And clearly Kyler Murray has huge upside. They had lots of exciting moments last year. But they're in a really tough division. I mean, last year thinking it was a horribly tough division. I think it's the same time this year. The Rams have gotten better, obviously, by getting Stafford. The Seahawks aren't going anywhere. Uh, the 49ers, if they're healthy, should be improved. So I think for Arizona, the Chandler Jones situation is concerning because you feel like, listen, we're going to need every single weapon available to us. And if this guy's squawking and upset right now, well, then already we're going to be challenged. It's a 17-game season. You know, Arizona is going to try to go 10-7, and 7, right? 11-6 and 6 to make the playoffs. They need to have him in that lineup in order to be successful. And on Kingsbury, Adnan, you know, it's funny because it, it, in some ways it seems like he just got to the NFL and he just teamed up not too long ago with Kyler Murray. But, you know, he's been there for a few seasons now, and I almost feel like he's got to be one of the coaches around the NFL who's feeling the most pressure going into this season to finally take that elusive step forward, make the playoffs in what you say is going to be a really, really difficult division again. No question, because what happens is, you know, John Gruden, ever since he won the Super Bowl, like his record is crazy. It's like 18 games under 500. I couldn't believe it. Michael Lombardi mentioned it to me on a most recent episode of the GM Shuffle. And I said, he's probably a 500 coach. He goes, no, he's like 18 games under since they won the Super Bowl. So far with the Raiders, he's done nothing. He's in a year four now, but he's got a $100 million contract. So Gruden's job security is better than anybody in the world. Like it, they're, they're not making the playoffs. No problem. He's, he's in for 10 years and $100 million. John, do what you want. Kingsbury does not have that kind of resume. He does not have that kind of security. And what's going to happen is Arizona will say, listen, we gave you a three, four-year contract, whatever it was. The whole goal was to make the playoffs. First year or two, fine, learning curve. But after that, you've got to put up or shut up. And most coaches, guys, just like players, players' shelf life is really like 2.6 years. I feel like coaches is the same. Like, if you get three years, if you can't make the playoffs in three years and we have an explosive weapon in Kyler Murray, then eventually that's on you. So I agree. This is a huge year for Kingsbury to prove his worth. And by the way, even if he doesn't make as a head coach, everyone knows he's a brilliant offensive mind. He could go back to college. He could definitely be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. But he wants to prove he can be a head coach. And that's why this year is going to be critical. Adnan Verk joining us, NHL MLB Network and the GM Shuffle podcast as well. Uh, have you been checking out the Olympics? I know you're a busy guy, you know, working nights, working mornings. Have you uh, managed to check anything out? I checked a little bit just to see it. You know what's frustrating is, listen, I, I love living in a country, but of course I miss Canada. And what I really miss is the Olympics time because, you know, I just have the memories of Brian Williams giving time checks of the, what the, you know, the time is in Labrador or whether it's in <laughs> British Columbia. I, I miss the fact that when you're watching – CBC or SportsCenter or TSN, whatever the coverage is, you know, obviously they're focusing on the Canadians. So here's the steeplechase. And by the way, we've got Jim Stevens from Aurora, and he's hoping to get in the top 10. I'm like, great. So what I find, to be perfectly honest, is when I'm watching NBC and stuff, I'm like, it's just so American biased, which understandably, you know, in America, it kind of takes a little bit of the steam out of it. And to be perfectly honest, fellas, we're such, such a dominant country, the Winter Olympics, going back to, as you guys know, in Vancouver, 
I'm more of a Winter Olympics guy, not just the hockey. I love ski jumping. I actually have a soft spot for figure skating because they often use movie scores. I remember back then, Kurt Browning danced to Casablanca. I thought it was amazing. So to be honest, I'm more of a winter guy than summer, but I have checked out a little bit. I saw the basketball, USA losing to France, which is a colossal embarrassment. I don't know what the heck's happening there. Um, you know, but the swimming, a little bit, gymnastics, sure, beach volleyball. I mean, I'll kind of check it out here and there, but I haven't seen a ton. How How is Canada doing, though? I need to get the update. Oh, okay. Here's my thing on the Olympics, and and, and you tell me if I'm crazy about this. I, I get the star power. You mentioned Team USA basketball, and, and we all want to watch the gold medal and all that sort of stuff. Winter Olympics, hockey. I like watching like the random sports. Like I, I go all year watching Kevin Durant and Dame Lillard and Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid. I don't necessarily need to see them at the Olympics. For me, it's like I'm getting into sailing and judo and steeplechase, what you're talking about. I, I like that aspect of it. I do agree. The random stuff is awesome. That's why my favorite Olympic discipline is ski jumping. Like, I just think it's insane. Like, who came up with this concept? You're going to fly down a slope, and then you got that flying V, and you're just soaring through the air. Like, it's every time I watch it, I'm transfixed by it. The Norwegians are always amazing, right? Those Nordic countries, those guys dominate. Eddie the Eagle, he's the most famous ski jumper ever. The guy was awful. He's from England, finished dead last, had a movie made about him, but everyone's like, no, man, Eddie the Eagle. Like, it's just such a great story. This guy actually had the chutzpah to try to do it. So, I'm with you. It's the funkier sports. Speaking of that point, I saw a little bit of table tennis the other day. I'm like, oh, Intense. That's intense. This this is not the ping pong I'm playing at home with my dad and my brother. And also, you know the one? Badminton. Their badminton is incredible. Like, the way they hammer that thing. I'm like, that birdie is going for a ride. I don't know if you saw, but on the women's side of skateboarding, of course, making its Olympic debut officially this year, the the gold and silver medalists last night were both 13 years old. I don't know if you can wrap your head around being 13-year-old. 13 years old and going halfway around the world and winning a gold medal in something. Uh, it's amazing. And that's what makes me think of it with gymnastics. You know, you see these young women, and it's like, wow, there's just girls out there, but they're so nimble. They're so agile. And they just have that mental toughness to able to come overcome all the stress and the anxiety of that moment. Just, just imagine your life 13 years old and you're at the Olympics. I don't care if it's skateboarding or gymnastics, anything. It's a moment to admire. And it makes me the great Orson Welles quote. He said, there's two types of lives. Either you start out great, it's gradually downhill, or you start out small and you gradually go up. Orson Welles, of course, won the best director, you know, best picture for Citizen Kane back when he was, he was 25 years old. Because so obviously my life has been like that. But it, I, I just hope for these girls, they have other great moments to cherish. This will not be the peak at 13 and skateboard and uh, dominating at the Olympics. Well, I mean, theoretically, they could be back, you know, seven or eight Olympics, potentially, if they're getting started at the age of yes. 13. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Team USA basketball. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. They lose their opening game to France. You know, it's kind of funny because they lost those prelim games and everyone's saying, oh, don't worry. It's just an exhibition. That game doesn't count. Well, that game against France counted. How worried should American men's basketball fans be? Sometimes I think you just kind of need a wake-up call, right? It's like cold water being thrown in your face early in the morning. You're just kind of not expecting it. But once you get it, like, all right, let's go. And I think for... For Team USA basketball, certainly some players obviously aren't their major stars, and you always say, well, if they had all their stars, then they would dominate, kind of like we can in hockey. Sometimes we go, well, not all of our best guys are there. But ultimately, that's a good wake-up call. The Olympic game is different. You can't underestimate those teams. We certainly know some of those European countries are juggernauts, and we've seen their talent in the past. Obviously, I was not expecting France to win, but I think it's a good wake-up call for Team USA. Get it now. All of a sudden, it's like, now I've got your attention. Let's focus and let's push forward. But they still should be really great. Adnan Verk joining us, uh, NHL and MLB Network and GM Shuffle Podcast and the Cinephile Pod as well. Uh, the Blue Jays headed into a uh, trade deadline. What do you expect from them? And 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 to be honest, what what team do you expect to be the, the most active prior to the MLB trade deadline? 
Well, it's going to be the Chicago Cubs because they got Kimbrell, who's a pending free agent, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo. I don't think they sell the farm, but I think a couple of those guys are going to get flipped. Probably Kimbrell and Bryant for sure. I can see Bryant going to the Mets, Kimbrell maybe the Red Sox, um, Kimbrell maybe the A's as well. I think that um, Baez is a great player. Trevor Story could go of the Rockies. I could see him going to the A's because Elvis Andrews has been awesome. They really need a shortstop. For the Blue Jays specifically, I think you look at their bullpen, clearly they need that, that short up. I just watched a lot of this series against the, the Mets. And listen, Rich Hill's 41 years old. He's out there going five innings. He's dealing against the Jays. What happens with the Jays is, guys, either they win big or they lose big. They need to have more consistency. There are a few games over 500, but they love to get that bullpen short up going into the trade deadline. The Yankees just lost three or four against Boston. So Boston and Tampa is neck and neck for the division. The Jays' best chance to make the playoffs is a wild card. They're not going to do that without getting some bullpen help. And you know, and then the Jays, I know they won that series against Texas right out of the All-Star break. Since then, they've scuffled a little bit. I mean, I've seen some fans say, you know what, hey, there's no point in spending money to or in spending assets to to get better this season. Maybe they should even look at trading guys who are going to be free agents like, like Robbie Ray or Marcus Simeon. Do you think it's at that point for the Jays yet, or should they still be investing and in trying to push this group forward? I still think trying to push forward has value to it, but I do agree you don't want to sell the farm. Like, don't necessarily give up three top ten prospects just to get Craig Kimbrell because you're not on the door of dominating. Why mortgage your future just for the sake of a one-game playoff, which you could lose? But I'm not the point that I would sell off. Yes, Simeon's a one-year deal. Ray will definitely be a huge asset, but I still think the Blue Jays are in it. I think it's important to the fan base to say, guys, we're trying to contend. Don't forget, they're coming back to Toronto July 30th. I think they get a huge boost from being back home. And I know it's only going to be 15,000 fans, but 15,000 raucous fans there to celebrate the Jays and support them. So I understand that logic, honestly, Jamie, but for me, I wouldn't do it. Either I would would try to add or I would stand pat. I wouldn't be a seller. Uh, He's one of the best. Adnan Verk, MLB and NHL Network in the GM Shuffle podcast. Thank you very much, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Vic, now I'm going to mention this Richard Burton story. So Max Bellas told me years ago, <laughs> Richard Burton, a great British actor, Elizabeth Taylor, you guys know, very tempestuous marriage. They're sitting next to each other, and Liz Taylor says, I can't imagine, I can't believe I'm married to one of the best actors in the world. And Richard Burton raises his eyebrow and says, what of? So every time I hear what of, that's what I think of. Sorry for the non-sequitur. <laughs> oh, my apologies. The best one around. It is uh, at Ed Verk. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks, Vic. Thanks, Jamie. Adnan Verk. Uh NHL Network, MLB Network. Now I'm rattled. I'm calling them taking one you of the to best. task there. Taking I you know. to task. I love it. I love it. Usually I let the the listeners take me to task. Six fifty, six fifty, and nine sixty, nine sixty. But uh, Adnan Verk just uh, bringing the heat. Uh, if, if if you don't already follow Adnan uh, on Twitter, you can jump online uh, at Adnan S Verk uh, and give him a follow. And that's the great thing. You know, we just had somebody text in just as we were wrapping up the interview. Like, wow, Adnan is great. He's got so much energy. He can talk about literally any sport you throw at him, right? And he's going to have something interesting to say, which is incredible. Then on top of that, you know, I mean, he's thrown out Citizen Kane uh, analogies, right, earlier in the interview. Then he brings up the Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor. Like, then you add the movie knowledge. And he is also the host of the Cinephile podcast. Like, what, what a range. It's incredible. We're talking about Brady, and then we got another goat in there as well with with Adnan Verk. See, I, I'm going to clip this and send it to him afterwards, so uh, we're all good on that front uh, with Adnan. Uh, a lot coming in today, 650, 650, 960, 960. We asked for pizza recommendations for our, for our guy, Chris Wall. Uh, the 960, 960 inbox did not disappoint. Uh, just flooding. It's blowing up. Blowing it's up. Blowing up. Keep them coming. I've screenshot them and sent it all to, to Wallsy, so I, I guess we're giving him a uh, – 
bit of a to-do list uh, when he, we might have uh, to do like because we're together for the rest of the week here. Like, can we get yeah. Walsey to try out some of these pizzas and, and call in with reviews or something here? Like, <laughs> like let's get let's get our pizza, our Calgary pizza correspondent going. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. We'll, we'll talk to our guy, Chris. Uh, we'll see what happens. So he's got some work to do. Uh, one of the things we want to talk about next hour, uh, and you can chime in as well uh, into our text message inboxes, uh, who has the most, most work left to do in free agency? It's just one step, right? You go through the expansion draft, and there was opportunities to make trades there. Then you get to the draft itself, the entry draft, and we saw some trades, some teams you know, fill up the cupboards for the prospects. And there's still work to do, obviously, with the next uh, transactional period being uh, free agency and there's qualifying offers and everything to get sorted out. Who's got the most work left to do still in free agency? We'll quiz uh, you as well. Uh, you can get involved onto our feedback channel, 650, 650, and 960, 960, as we get ready for free agency in a couple of days from now. Uh, a couple of signings already today. Sam Bennett inking a deal in Florida, four years, four by four, or sorry, 4.4. Uh, for yep. four years. And uh, Alec Martinez, uh, I don't know if it's been made official yet, but it uh, looks like he's trending towards staying in Las Vegas as well, which is a, a big boost for them because they, you know, they're tied up, t- tied up against the cap and they were going to be losing a big piece and, and, and that uh, to maintain him because he would have been a very attractive name as well on the free oh, yeah. market. But Vegas is so interesting, though, because they also, everything we've heard, you know, we're talking about most pressure. Like, you could put Vegas on that list, right? Whether you want it to be Kelly McCrimmon or whoever, but because they've been very upfront. Like, hey, we want to add more talent. We want to take another big swing, get even better, because we were frustrated with how things ended again, right? We we want to keep being aggressive. That's been the mantra for Vegas, really, since they've come into the league. And I don't know. Look, they always find a way to do it, right? They always find a way to open up the cap space to do it, but it gets a little bit tougher when you're bringing back Alec Martinez as well. Uh, so we'll see what happens on uh, Wednesday when it is uh, signing season. And uh, if you missed it uh, just minutes ago, uh, Sportsnet putting out uh, their their signing season broadcast. We know Elliot Friedman's going to be there. We know Chris Johnson's going to be there. And also joining them, part of the uh, Hockey Insiders, Frank Saravelli, going to be part of uh, the crew on TV, uh, which gets going 11.30 Eastern, 8.30 Pacific, 9.30 Mountain Time. Uh, so, I mean, we might Wednesday. we might already know the biggest signing of the day, right? Like, Massive. I, like, I don't think that, this isn't permanent. You know, Frank Saravelli was calling yeah. it more of a professional tryout. I get that. But <laughs> as a one-off, the guy who just dominated the expansion draft last week, let's go. Doing great work, obviously, for uh, DailyFaceOff.com as well. But, yeah, you'll see him on TV on Wednesday uh, when things get going. Also with Jeff Merrick, Jen, Jen Botterill, uh, Anthony Stewart, and Mike Fuda uh, taking over the TV panel uh, when you watch signing season uh, for the start of free agency. And signing season uh, on Sportsnet Radio Network brought to you by Black & Lee Summer Warehouse Sale. Buy one, get half off on all suits. Details at blackandlee.com. What do you expect this week? We'll get into it about the Calgary Flames and the Vancouver Canucks and who's got some work left to do across the league. Bick Nazar, Jimmy Dodd here this week filling in for Rintoul and Sermon. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Welcome back to... Rintoul and Sermon. It is Vic Nazar and Jamie Dodd filling in today and the rest of this week for Scott and Karen, who take some much-deserved time off. They'll be back soon on your airwaves, though. 
If you want to chime in, 650-650 or 960-960 into our text message inboxes. And uh, the 960-960 inbox uh, popping off with uh, great recommendations for our guy, Chris Wall. So uh, keep coming in with those uh, uh, pizza recommendations uh, for, for our departed co-worker who uh, takes a new gig in Calgary. And, uh, you know, moving to a new city is always challenging. You need new friends. But more importantly, you need your local and you need your pizza spot. You gotta have you gotta have those comforts, right? Those familiar yeah. comforts that you can turn to after a tough day. You gotta know the pizza spot that has you covered. Uh, so yes, keep the text coming in. Really appreciate it. We'll get to uh, what they're saying in uh, just a couple of minutes here as well. But we we left you with some homework before the break there, uh, just talking about who who has the most work left to do in free agency. You you, you see these opportunities, you know the draft. Maybe you can make some trades, move some money out, bring some money in. We saw Jim Benning, you know, get rid of a bunch of players with Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, Louis Erickson. Brings in Oliver Ekman Larson, obviously someone that's been, uh, you know, a, a fancy to his eye for some time trying to bring him in. Uh, and, and even when he was interviewed on Sportsnet 650 over the weekend, it was, you know, yeah, we've been – saw this guy seven years ago when I took this job and – really attractive player. If he played in a bigger market, maybe he'd be up for Norris votes every year. Uh, and so he brings him in. But not everyone pulled off some transactions. Uh, who do you, Jamie, has some work left to do in free agency? Well, I mentioned this when we were talking about who has the most pressure, right? But, mm-hmm. I mean, I look first and foremost, you know, a, a new division rival for the Flames and the Canucks, the, the Seattle Kraken, because – Again, there's just this sense we're waiting for the other shoe to drop in hey, man, Seattle. That's so wild that there's pressure or that there's expectations on this team. This is an expansion team. It's it's too well, unbelievable to say, hey, they got to do this and this and this and this right now. This is about a long-term process to get this up and running. And there are going to be moments that, hey, when can we accelerate this? But we got to remember that like, there are no expectations of results on the Kraken, and that's to their benefit. You start doing things to start accelerating that plan. If I'm Ron Francis, I do kind of want to delay this as long as possible. But here's the thing. Okay, I get that. It's fair to say, look, we're an expansion franchise. We are we are going to choose not to be held to the standard that Vegas set. That's very fair, because I think Vegas' situation was really a lightning-in-a-bottle moment. Okay, so I get that. Coming in and saying, you know what? We're not going to try to go all out this year. We're going to try to build for the future. But they haven't really done that either like when we saw some of those picks in the expansion draft the assumption was okay they must have made that pick as part of a side deal and they're going to get some future considerations some draft capital a prospect whatever it is back in return for you know leaving that player with his original team and taking a different player that's what we thought didn't happen right okay so that didn't really happen then you think well okay they have all this cap space so maybe they can absorb some bad contracts and and get some draft capital for the future that way. That hasn't happened either. And that's been happening around the league. Arizona has been incredibly aggressive in doing that so far. Seattle hasn't done that. And then, you know, again, just look back at the example of Vegas. How did they go about and accumulate and gather all of these prospects and picks, right? One, it was with side deals. But then two, it was they took a ton of defensemen and then they kind of dispersed those defensemen around the league in trades and got a bunch of draft picks that back that way. And look, again, there's still time. I mean, I'm not saying it's a, it's a lost cause for Seattle. I'm saying they have work to do. But let's say they did try to replicate that strategy and trade some of their defensemen. 
you know, unless you're moving Mark Giordano, and I don't think they are, given the fact that they flew him down to Seattle and, and they've had him out there doing PR for the team, but unless you're mu- moving Giordano, I mean, which defenseman on their roster are you getting a haul back for, right? Because, again, Giordano, I don't think they're moving. Alexiak and Larson, they signed, right? They they had to commit money to those guys, so I'd be very surprised if they moved them. They also have no trade clauses, so you're not moving those guys. I mean, who else is a team in the NHL giving up big assets for, right? Like, is Carson Soucy, Jeremy Lazon? Like, who's paying big money for any of these other defensemen that the Seattle Kraken picked in the expansion draft? So I just think, man, for this to come out looking okay, and I agree with you, plan for the future, that's fine. But they haven't even done a good job of that yet, and time's running out here. Well, see, here's the thing. it's Time's not running out because you want them to do it next week. One of the things that they did in their draft, it was it was confusing, some of the picks. I get it. And you, you assumed, hey, some of these guys were going to be side deals, and they never came to fruition. One of the, I think, you know, omissions from the narrative of what they did with their no side deals is they also didn't really help out the teams that had the biggest cap issues, right? Okay, they took Yanni Gord, but that's a certain talent that deserves a certain level of uh, a bigger role, and it's a contractual value on him. So it's worth spending on that, and they do need to get to the cap floor. But you think about it, from Dallas, they took Jamie Oleksiak, a UFA who had nothing against Dallas's cap. That's still an issue. San Jose, they took Alex True. You know, Edmonton, they take Adam Larson. That's a UFA. Washington, it's Vitek Vanacek. It's all these low-level players, these these low-contract players. Chris Dreger was a UFA. In Philadelphia, uh, they take the winger. And yeah. Vince, Vince Dunn instead of Tarasenko, yeah. yep. And, and so they go through with this, and all those teams, after the expansion draft, they wake up in a position of, man, we got no relief, and we didn't make a side deal. So great, we held on to the assets, but we didn't really get relief on our NHL roster cap so they are still in positions of we are at some point like this is what seattle's betting on at some point in the next two to three seasons teams are going to have to shed money because of the flat cap and we'll see it you know grow minimally maybe a million here and there but it's going to grow minimally over these next three four five seasons that's the bet seattle's making at some point yes you need to get assets and at some point yeah or even myself i would have liked to have seen some more side deals but it's not a catastrophe that it's getting made out to be because there's still going to be bad contracts in the nhl and if you want to see seattle become a haven for contracts to absorb some some players and also get some other assets to take on those like draft picks or prospects that opportunity is going to be there because there's no timeline for success for for seattle right now you can compare Seattle's draft to Vegas's draft, you cannot compare the seasons and the success immediately because that's unrealistic. The, the, that's what captured our imagination so much with Vegas. It, it was you know, front page on everywhere, like ESPN, and everyone had to talk about it. How is an expansion team, A, getting to the playoffs, then winning a round, then going to the conference finals, then in the Stanley Cup? How is this happening? You can't compare that to Seattle because it's an unlofty standard to ever achieve and so you go back to the process of hey where were they at the, in the draft and what moments do we try to replicate to say hey here's a foundation now we start building this out over the course of three four five years they can still do that and if you look across the nhl there are some teams with a lot of cap space but buffalo is not going to be a team that's always willing to take on money they they have to get better soon you know arizona do they, how long though? they're trade they're trading all their good players though don't you how, think that how regime, long can- don't 
But it's a new regime there in Buffalo. How Don't long? you think they got a little bit of rope? How long do you think the Pakula family is going to be like, you know what, we're thrilled to be losing 11 years in a row? I right? have like, no, I could at, not tell you. It's a great at, question. At some point, it's like, do we really enjoy doing this? Detroit, like at some point, you have to turn the corner. They've cleaned out the cap now. At some point, you have to turn the corner and, and get better. Arizona, they, we know that they have like an internal cap. They can't just be this haven to take on you know, all these contracts. At some point, they've very specifically been taking cap over cash contracts in these deals here. It's great to acquire Louis Erickson at $6 million AAV. He's not getting $6 million this year. It's significantly less. At some point, Arizona just gets capped out themselves. If Seattle's willing to spend 81.5 for the next you know couple of years, in, in real cash, they're going to have opportunities to do these side deals. We, we're not going to call them side deals anymore, just right. trades, just salary dumps. They're going to have those opportunities to pick up prospects and pick up draft picks over these next couple of years. They are going to have opportunities. I still think they've missed an opportunity already in the expansion draft process, right? Because, yeah, you can you can point at, you know, oh, well, maybe Detroit's going to try to be really aggressive soon and Buffalo's going to try to turn the corner. But those teams still have massive amounts of cap space. It's not as if Seattle is the only team with lots of cap space or that they have a unique amount of cap space. And the advantage of the expansion draft is you are given this moment where you have more leverage than anyone else in the NHL, right? That moment has passed. Now you're just another team with not a lot of prospects and a ton of cap space. That's fine. You can do good things from that point, but they have more work to do than they could have if they had approached the expansion draft process differently. That's what I'm saying. And I look, I agree with you the point about Vegas. It's not fair to hold them to the first season standard. But I still think they could have done more to accelerate this process. We've got a couple texts coming in here, 650, 650, 960, get in on conversation. One says Seattle is all in on Bedard in a couple years. Another one says maybe Seattle's plan is to draft right in 2022 or Bedard in 2023. That's That one is from Sonny. Look, I don't think Ron Francis is going into an expansion franchise situation saying, we're going to be bad for two years and then hopefully we'll pick Connor Bedard. I don't think that's the case, but like, why are you kicking the can that far down the road? I get it. It's about building for the future, but you can balance those two things. You can you can still try to add meaningful pieces right now while keeping your future cap flexibility. Vic Nazar, Jamie Dodd here uh, filling in for Scott and Karen this week. Uh, Calgary as well. Uh, you know, you mentioned it earlier yep. when we we're talking about teams that are you know, absorbing pressure. Uh, as far as to-do list right now, it, it is interesting because – you know, we were talking about how long are you comfortable doing the same thing in, in Buffalo. Well, Calgary's the poster boy for that as far as they've had this core for so long. It hasn't gone to the stages that you would hope it to go. And Bradtree leaving it was promised, like, hey, this is going to change. We have to change it. And the only thing we've seen is, you know, Mark Giordano leaving uh, for free, let alone just, hey, we can trade some assets and we got something in return. The only change has been significant loss so far. Yeah, and this one, this text comes in from Calgary. The Calgary Flames have the most work to do. They just lost a huge defensive piece. I think that's that, that's almost kind of flown under the radar. Like, obviously, it's a big story in Calgary that Giordano went, but we warmed we still, up to it for weeks, right? Yeah, we just, that's like, the thing. Like, we knew it was the, coming, and the blow didn't feel like it was that big. The on ice implications, I think people haven't really dug into yet. Like he's still yeah. a really important player, right? A really, really good defenseman. And that, the texture is right. That's a major hole he has to fill. Uh, and then yeah, they all. He also says, and they just they just lost a huge defensive piece, and the forward group needs. And the texture says a minor overhaul. I, I don't. I like the forward group to me. I, 
I don't know about overhaul in the terms of moving guys out, but it needs you need to make a major addition, I think, whether that's Jack Eichel or somebody else. And to be fair to Brad Tree Living, I do kind of get the sense that what is holding up the aggressive moves he wants to make is probably seeing what happens with Jack Eichel, right? And and once that is resolved one way or another, then I think you will start to see some movement from Calgary. But yeah, I don't think it's my, it's not time for minor changes in Calgary in the forward group. I think it's time for major changes there. Yeah, I mean, is, is moving a Sean Monaghan something that's minor? To me, that's a, a big a big move. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of your top six centers, right? Like it, your top two lines, obviously very pivotal in, in sending out Sean Monahan to me is a major overhaul. And to me, minor is not the word. Uh, it's, you got to make big changes because it just doesn't look like they've got it sorted out. It, it, to me, obviously Sean Monahan kind of headlines this and it's interesting too. They draft Matt Coronado over the weekend. who was arguably, you know, I wouldn't say the best prospect, but my favorite prospect. Good pick. In the draft, really good pick. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's so funny to see, like, the contrast between uh, Coronado versus Monaghan. It's, you know, Monaghan's the prototypical big body, can score goals, what you want in the center. And then here's Matt Coronado, bit smaller, you know, that bulldog mentality, and, and gets after it. And to me, like, I look at one guy, like, that's the guy I want. The smaller guy who's a bit more tenacious, you know, is always on the right side of the puck, doing those elements. I thought, for me, the, the best pick in the first round was done by Brad Tree Living. But you're right, as far as what to do this coming week, once free agency kicks off, Brad Tree Living's got a lot of work to do. And if you're waiting for that, you know, player hierarchy domino to start going, Jack Eichel goes, and where do other teams start looking for centers? Do they come back as a, a secondary or tertiary option in uh, Sean Monahan at that point? And then do you start to you know see the, the trade market loosen up? Yeah, it's going to be, as I said, I think it's waiting for that Jack Eichel domino to fall. And then if it doesn't, if he doesn't end up going to Calgary, and I, I'm still a little skeptical that, like, I still look at Anaheim as the team that if Anaheim really wants to step up to the plate, they they have the most enticing package to offer for Jack Eichel. So I'm a little skeptical Calgary is going to get it done. But, you know, the fact that they're still, as Elliot Friedman is reporting, like, close on these negotiations, that's a good sign for Flames fans, obviously. Vic Nazar, Jamie Dodd, we'll do a, a Canucks to-do list moving forward here in just a minute. But uh, it is 10-15 or just a, a little bit past that spot, uh, or 11-15 if you're in Calgary. And uh, we do it here every day on Rantoul and Sermon. What they're saying. What they're saying on Rantoul and Sermon. Vic Nazar, Jamie Dodd, fill it in for this week. Uh, a couple of trades go down across the league, including here in Vancouver, Oliver ekman Larson lands in Vancouver. Here's uh, what OEL is saying. Uh, first of all, I, I, I'm super happy about my 11, 11 years there, and I felt like I grew as a as a player and as a person, um, and I have a lot to 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 thank the Coyotes uh, organization for believing in me and, and uh, um, just to, to be a part of that organization for 11 years. I think that helped me a lot, and, and that's why I'm I'm here uh, today, um, but at the same time, have been been some up, ups and downs. Uh, and I know uh, a lot of people uh, think that I've been uh, a little bit worse uh, in the last couple of years, but I feel like, I mean, I'm still uh, producing the same uh, uh, amount of points uh, per game, so uh, I, I don't really feel like it's it's that bad. But uh, I'm 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 here to prove the the people wrong that I'm still a, a good defenseman in this league. So I'm super excited about the fresh start. 
That's all of Reckman Larson. Uh, between his media availability and today on Halford and Bruff as well on Sportsnet 650, a lot of accountability, Jamie, from all of Reckman Larson of, hey, the last couple of years have not gone the way I expect them to and, and the standard that which I believe I can play at. And, you know, when we were having the discussion about who has the most pressure around the NHL right now going into next season, Bick. We got this text from Calgary saying that one of those guys is Oliver Ekman Larson, right? For He's sure. dropped off a little bit the last three years. Contract now doesn't look so great. So the pressure, this texture says the pressure's on him to bring his play back up so he gets closer to his contract's value. That's true. And, you know, when you, you start to kind of dig through and, and try to build the case of, okay, how can Ekman Larson get back to the level he used to be at? And, there's a lot of those kind of intangible factors there that make sense, right? Like he wasn't happy in Arizona, didn't get along with the coach, they weren't playing the right system. You can buy into all of those things, but it doesn't guarantee that he's going to massively improve, right? So you can believe it, you can hope for it, but he's still got to put up put up the work, put in the work, and actually get better, right? Or else I think a lot of people who are in favor of this trade right now are going to sour on it pretty quickly. Yeah, I still feel like there's a, a one more layer to come to to Oliver Ekman Larson's career. Like I, I'm very curious of how hard is it to get motivated in Arizona. We again we're we're bringing up yep. the the same scenarios uh, playing out over and over again. I imagine he shows up in training camp every time and just and goes, "All right, here we go again." Right? Like no moves, no investment. It's chaotic. You know. Uh, behind the scenes ownership changes all these things i imagine it wears on people and, and it's it's it can be tough to get motivated we know his injury history and and maybe just you know fitness levels weren't always up to par because you know to what level are you investing in your own career when all your surroundings aren't getting supported as well vancouver it's going to be a bit different the intense scrutiny from the market from the fans you would hope brings out the best in someone who, by and large, you would say, it has a lot of support from players around the league, and now you're playing at a different standard, and we should say a much better team. Is that going to bring something new out of Oliver Ekman Larson? Yeah, again, I mean, the the story you're kind of telling there, that you're outlining there, the story the Canucks have been selling, that Oliver Ekman Larson himself has been selling, I can believe that, right? Like, that is certainly, there's a we've world in We've all had a bad job, which, right? We, yeah, we, there, we've all been a in a bad job. There's a world in which that is true, undoubtedly, for sure, but it's not a guarantee, you know what I mean? He's still, there's still a lot of pressure to prove that that's the case, right? To prove that all he needs is a change of scenery to get back on track. Uh, what about Ken Holland? What's he saying? You know, but if we spend caps 81.5, let's Clef's a 4.1 cap number. So let's say we spend, even if you spend 78 million dollars, well, obviously you got to that does not include Clef, does not you know, or, or so now Clef 78 million plus Clef's four, you're at 82. Well, we're in LTI. So now once you go into LTI, you've really set your cap at 78 million dollars. So. You know, you got to run your team a little bit different, in my opinion, um, when you're when you're going into LTI, unless you want to be at 73, 74 million dollars, 75 or 81.5 less the four. You know, you need a, you need a little. You know, you, 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 that's your that's your cushion. So unless you if you want to run your team at 70, 76, six, you know, the, the, the 81.5 less the 4.1, unless you want to go. You leave all that money out there um, for 
the future. Um, but if you decide you want to sp spend some of that, f even if you want to spend one or two of it, then then you're really spending you're spending all of it. We can cut it there. We can cut it there. It's so great. You're just trying it's to amazing. do the math. It's amazing. It's it is like the gold. What a golden clip! That's Ken Holland, uh, Oilers GM, and his media availability. And like, I, I think like, I'm trying to connect the lines of logic. I kind of get what he's saying, but you know, we can't see the chalkboard in Ken Holland's mind of him trying to do the no. math. And so when you hear it, you're thinking like, "What's going on?" <laughs> it's it's so uh, great. look, look. It's been a busy week. All right, yeah. it's been a busy week for NHL general managers. Ken Holland has been under a lot of heat. You know, like just a couple of weeks ago, he was getting into some testy exchanges with Edmonton reporters about the Duncan Keefe deal. So I, I get it. We've all been in that situation, right? You're not at your best. Maybe you haven't been getting enough sleep recently. And, you know, the point you're trying to come to get out just isn't coming across to the listeners. But it is really funny to listen to. Like, this is an NHL general manager, one of the most respected and decorated ones in the league. And it's just like, what are you talking about? It makes no sense. I felt like the, it felt like that moment of in Wolf of Wall Street where, uh, where Matt McConaughey is like, look, man, think about it. You're dealing with numbers all day, decimal points, high frequencies, bang, 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 kiki, 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 very acidic, above the shoulders, mustard stuff. That's what this felt like of like Ken Holland trying to figure this all out on it, the fly. It's, uh, I'm not the first person to make this comparison, but there's that. You even if you're not a wrestling fan, you've probably seen this going around, right? The like uh, bizarre promo from Scott Steiner. Uh, where he's like listing all these yeah, percentages yeah, yeah. that illustrate 25%. How good it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was basically what Ken Holland was doing. He was taking a page out of Big Papa Pump's book right there. So great. Uh, we'll get in on some of the Jack Eichel stuff. Uh, Elliot Friedman talking about it on 31 Thoughts. Uh, and we'll talk to EJ Raddick as well from NHL Network. Uh, it's coming up here. Vic Nazar, Jamie Dodd, filling in for Rintoul and Sermon. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Welcome back to Rintoul and Sermon on Sportsnet Radio Network. Filling in for Scott and Karen this week, myself, Vic Nazar, and Jamie Dodd. Uh, you'll hear me on Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650, and obviously very familiar with uh, Jamie Dodd here on Rintoul and Sermon. We'll talk to EJ Raddick in just a couple of minutes from uh, the NHL Network. Uh, I want to play this back before we get to, to EJ, though. Just uh, Elliot Friedman talking about Jack Eichel on the latest 31 Thoughts. If you jump uh, to your local podcatchers, uh, they did a post-entry draft uh, podcast with he and Jeff Merrick. Uh, so listen to the whole thing. Here's a little bit from Elliot uh, just talking about the Jack Eichel situation because we're all waiting. Uh, maybe they uh, play this out, but this is the big name heading into the, the whole frenzy in the offseason. Have not seen a trigger pulled on that uh, deal just yet. Here's what Elliot had to say. Well, the Eichel thing, on Saturday night after the draft, he said, you know, if Eichel's back next year, we're fine with that. I can't imagine Eichel's fine with that. <laughs> Somewhere, wherever he is, his eyes probably rolled back into his head. Yeah. But, you know, Montreal and Eichel, I get a lot of mixed signals. I get people who say that they're in, and I get people who say that Montreal has determined they don't want to go there. At the very least, they've talked to Buffalo about it. But I just don't know where that's going to go. Like I said, I get a lot of mixed signals. You know, the other team I think has been around this from time to time has been Calgary. And I think like 
everyone else, they go in, they go out. It depends on do they think the price or what's been previously asked of them will change. It's a really difficult thing to get your finger on because I do think the teams go in and out. They're like, we can't do it. Ah, let's keep trying. We can't do it. Ah, let's try again. And that's why I think it's so hard to read. You know, Florida, they were interested in Reinhardt and they were interested in Eichel. And I think they tried Eichel. I don't think it ever got close. And they were happy to get Reinhardt. Very happy to get him. Adam says there's no deadline. The one thing is, is that if we get into free agency, do the other teams say, well, you know what? There is a deadline because we have to know if we're getting him or we're going somewhere else. That's Elliot Friedman when he's talking on the 31 Thoughts podcast, which you can uh, download on your local podcatchers. Uh, interesting. And, and I do think I, I, like this is starting to resemble to me like the Matt Duchesne trade, uh, Jamie, where it's just take some time, wait for your right offer. Don't let others pressure you into influencing your decision. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, though, when free agency opens. I, I think Friedman makes a really good point at the end of that clip. You know, eventually some of these other teams are going to go in a different direction. We've been talking about Calgary, maybe waiting to see how the Eichel situation resolves. Mm-hmm. But if it just keeps lingering on, you can only wait so long before you have to start looking at other avenues to improve your team. Sure, but if I'm Buffalo, like, I have the asset, right? Yep. He, he's, he's locked in, too. This isn't Seth Jones where you're thinking – Boy, I'm going to get back into corner, and you know, before I know it, the, the, this guy's going to be a free agent. This isn't that. J- Jack Eichel is locked into term. It, it just—it's uncomfortable. It's—and it, it, obviously, there's a, it, the injury factor. But he's locked until 2026. And if I'm Buffalo, I'm not getting pressured into anything. Let's throw this by EJ Raddick, who joins us now, uh, senior reporter for the NHL Network and host as well on NHL Network. Uh, EJ, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, he, here's, here's my thoughts on Jack Eichel. If I'm Kevin Adams right now, I'm holding out for as long as I can, and I can be more patient than Jack Eichel's patience, and I can be more patient than 31 other GMs. Is that fair? That is very fair, and it's very reminiscent of what Joe Sackett did with Matt Duchesne when there were all the calls for, you know, you have to move him, you have to move him. I mean, this is a little different in that Jack has got an injury issue that we need clarity on. I think the teams that are looking to acquire him probably need clarity on where he's at physically. But I completely agree that at the end of the day, you got to wait and see what your best deal is. It's, it's up to Kevin to do what's best for the Buffalo Sabres, just like it was up for, to Joe to do what was best for the Colorado Avalanche. There were so many calls from different people in the media because they're connected to agents and different parts of this. As you guys know, everybody's kind of trading information for favors. And so there was a lot of discussion about, you know, they have to move them. And the reality was they didn't. Uh, Matt was under contract, and it was up to the uh, – it was, it was Matt's job to go and play. And that will be – the situation with Jack Eichel as well. If he's healthy and there's nothing out there, it'll be Jack's job to go and play for the Buffalo Sabres and play as well as he can. And at the time when the time arrives, uh, then there'll be a deal. So I'm completely in agreement with you, and I think it's really smart of Kevin Adams to uh, make that clear. 
you know, it seems like every with every new round of reporting on this from the insiders, EJ, there's there's a different group of teams that are at the front of the line for Jack Eichel. I think it's changed a lot throughout the process. But at this stage, what do you see as the most likely landing spot for Jack Eichel? Boy, it's a great question because, I mean, I think the New York Rangers are going to be in the mix because they have a need for a player like that. There is a connection with Chris Drury and are, uh, have been very good friends for a long time. Um, there's a connection, you know, of the, you know, BU as well. Um, so Boston University going all the way back to Chris's time there and Jack was there. So I think that the Rangers have a lot of work to do. They've got to figure out what's, what they're going to do with Mika Zibanejad. I don't think they can have both on their roster based on what Mika will want financially. So I think the Rangers will be in the mix sniffing around. I don't know necessarily if the Buffalo Sabres' first choice is to trade Jack Eichel to the New York Rangers. Um, I think the Minnesota Wild, I've heard their name in the mix. There's one thing about Billy Guerin. He's been extremely bold. Um, I think, though, when you look at a $10 million cap hit and a team that is going to have significant dead money in the coming years, not this year, but the following three years after that, due to the buyouts of Suter and Parisi. Um, I think the Vegas Golden Knights would love to find some way to make it work. They're a bold group. They've done these things in the past, but to do that, they would have to certainly make sure they move one of their goalies out, and then they would have to trade a couple of more contracts to make that even a viable circumstance. Um, you know, there's teams around the league that have – assets like LA and Anaheim that have uh, prospects that could be of value. So those are the ones that come to mind right away. But, you know, I think it's kind of wide open and that's what you want. If you're Kevin Adams, the only, the only problem for you with waiting is that when you wait and teams then make declarations towards their team for the season, for the upcoming season or seasons, they now have, uh, you know, spent cap space and it makes it more difficult and the list gets whittled down. So it's going to be a very interesting situation as it plays out over the next days, weeks, months, moving forward. EJ Raddick joining us uh, from, from the NHL network. So, you know, Wednesday is going to come up and it's, it's going to be the frenzy. We got signing season here on Sportsnet and, you want to see teams make splashes, but at the same time, you know, fans are smarter than they ever been. That they can understand the distraction of the splashes of of what a real team is starting to look like. You know, who who do you feel like is going to make a splash, and will it be the right type of move once free agency kicks off? Well, I mean, who are the big free agents, right? I mean, like Dougie Hamilton, I would think is a pretty big name defenseman, right shot defenseman, free agent. I mean, like, after that, you've got a lot of name players, but, you know, uh, but very few that are in the prime of their career. you got a lot of role players. Um, you got potentially some goaltenders. So, you know, when you talk about Dougie Hamilton, the name of the team that's been attached there is New Jersey. Uh, the Devils have the cap room to make that happen, so they're a team that probably wants to make a little bit of a splash, for the lack of a better word, and to try to accelerate their rebuilding process. And he's someone that can be a right-shot defenseman. That you're likely getting him for seven years, so he's at the age when he can be a factor. P.K. Subban is in the final year of his contract, so 
they get through this year with that, and then they, they probably move on in that regard. But you go into the season, if you're able to get Hamilton on your right side is Hamilton, Subban, and Severson, that's not bad. And uh, you buy some time for your younger players to continue to develop. They've got a couple of good young defensemen within their pipeline as well. So, you know, that might be a team that would do that. And they have the room if they were to sign Hamilton, maybe they could sign somebody else as well. So, you know, that would be one team that comes to mind. But in a flat cap world, it's it's hard to make the splash without kind of moving pieces around. And, uh, you know, that's what I mean when I say about, you know, Vegas, if indeed they were to have any any desire to add Eichel. I mean, you'd have to move a lot of the deck chairs to make that work. So the New Jersey Devils come to mind because they've got the cap room and uh, it seems like they've had a real interest in Doug Hamilton. EJ, are you a little surprised that Seattle and Ron Francis haven't been more active yet? And look, I know it's a long off season. They're a new franchise. They've got a lot of time yet to to make some moves here. But I did get the sense that a lot of people around the league were kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop after the expansion draft. And it, it's been pretty quiet. Does that surprise you at all? Well, not really. I mean, they, they went out and made acquisitions that they wanted to make in Dreger and uh, Larson. And, uh, and uh, you know, Jamie Alexiak. And, you know, Jamie Alexiak was someone I thought that would talk to 20 teams. I mean, the, the, the big, strong defenseman is in vogue right now. And he's at a great point of his career. He's not someone that you have to really blow the, the doors off in terms of money. Yeah, you got to give him some term. And, but I thought the deal was, was about what I, where I expected it to be. Um, so they made those commitments. I think they've got plenty on defense, and I I I like Dreger, and I think Vanacek is there, and I think they could still get. Goaltending should be competitive. Uh, you know, the question is going to be top six forwards for the Seattle Kraken, and and you know, I maybe that Ron Francis is still waiting for things to kind of play out and still be there to make deals to get players that. Uh, you know, other teams are trying to move for cap considerations. Maybe he's – those guys are going to be there. I mean, if he wanted Ryan Johansson, like Ryan Johansson's still going to be there and still going to be available to to be acquired, I think. You know, and the same can be said for Matt Duchesne in Nashville. And you go around the league, there's different players that are in that circumstance. So, you know, I think Ron is – you know, he's gone through his, his, uh, his expansion draft. They went through their amateur draft now. I think they're probably – have will circle back with some teams but i'll also say this that i can remember distinctly when the vegas golden knights we talked about them after the expansion draft and after some of the things that went on nobody thought they were going to be very good at all and the fact that they went to the stanley cup final that year is kind of you know it just blows you away but that's all i would say is i'm very careful about what i would say about anything seattle's doing because i think they have some They've added some good pieces there, and they're in a division that's not that difficult. So you just never know how things are going to play out, as we saw in Vegas. Uh, in this Pacific division, uh, you know, we saw Vancouver make a big trade, bring in Oliver Ekman, Larson, Connor Garland. Uh, I, I, me personally, I'm actually more excited for the Connor Garland side of the deal than I am the Ekman Larson side of the deal. Uh, you know, I, I just think this is an emerging player, really exciting and. You know, we'll see what, it, what what type of contract he gets, but to me, for if, if I'm a Canucks fan, I'm I'm gonna learn to love Connor Garland really fast. 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think he's one of those guys that fans will appreciate because he works his rear end off night after night after night. He's got some really good offensive skills. Uh, he's someone that everybody has uh, probably told him going back to his time in junior that he's too small to be successful in National Hockey League. I think a lot of guys, you know, a cold call wants to brink at when uh, that's wrong. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Connor Garland is the same way. I think that's a nice pickup. I guess we'll see what kind of contract they can come upon. He's going to certainly get a big raise from where he was in uh, in Arizona as a restricted free agent now. So that's going to have to play out. Uh, you know, they're taking a chance a little bit on Oliver ekman Larson. I think the fact that the Sedin twins are involved there, I, I mean, I would have to think there's a relationship between the Sedins and between Oliver ekman Larson at some point to get a feel for where this guy's at. It's a risk. There's no question. Uh, they got a little bit of the benefit of the, I guess they bought a little bit of the benefit cap-wise by adding another pick and getting the 12 reduction. Um, but let's face it. I mean, you guys are right there in Vancouver. The the fans, the management, ownership, I mean, they want to win. They want to try to, you know, to win now. And uh, I get the sense that if Oliver ekman Larson is, uh, it turns out to be the player that he was in the past, then everybody's going to be happy. If Oliver ekman Larson is the player that we've seen in the last, you know, 18 months or so, then I would imagine, uh, you know, Jim Benning is probably going to be seeking other employment and the and the Vancouver Canucks are going to be going in a different direction. So it's a lot of risk, but, you know, there's a chance for some reward. And like you said, you got another player there in Connor Garland who's, I think, a real helpful top six type forward that can bring some juice to that team. So there's more to be done, as you guys know. I would imagine that Nate Schmidt's going to be moved out. Uh, I think they still have work to do. they got contracts to get signed. But uh, it's nice to have some really good pieces that they have there. And, you know, last, last year was disappointing. But I think that, you know, there, there is reason to think that this team can be better. And, again, they're in a division that's kind of wide open with the exception of Vegas at the very top. You know, you mentioned some of the other work that Vancouver still has to do, EJ. And I think high on that list is finding a trade partner for Nate Schmidt, right? I don't think it worked out. Uh, how either party would have liked it when they acquired him before last season. Is there a team out there that you think should should be in the running for Nate Schmidt's services for next season? I think there's a lot of teams that would be interested in Nate Schmidt. I mean, I thought Nate's a real good player. He's a real good person, too. He's, he's, a, he's kind of an interesting character. Um, you know, I got to know Nate a little bit when uh, he was uh, part of that Vegas team. We went out there for the NHL Network and did some things with Nate. And I've come to like him, but I think he's a good player. I just don't think he's a good fit in Vancouver. But there are teams that need, you know, kind of a puck mover, left shot guy, can help you in little different situations, not the biggest guy. But, uh, you know, there are teams that need that type of player. And I always say it, there's no perfect players, very few in this game. And, you know, what Nate Schmidt can do is he skates well, he can help you out, move the puck, help you offensively in that regard from the blue line. And, uh, you know, he's been on, he's been all the way to the end. He's been to a Stanley Cup final, so he has that kind of experience as well. So I, I think there's a number of teams that could use a player like that. It's just a question, again, of cap room for teams, what Vancouver is looking to do on the other end. Uh, I think it's a similar situation with someone like Braden Holtby. I think there's a number of teams, of Philadelphia and New Jersey, come to mind immediately. That would be a good fit for Braden Holtby. But the question is, again, 
you know, what do you get in return? Is it just about saving cap room, or do you want assets to come back the other way? He is uh, EJ Raddick, NHL reporter and host uh, for the NHL Network. EJ, thanks very much, and enjoy uh, Wednesday. Should be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Enjoy it, guys. Thank you very much. EJ Raddick uh, from the NHL Network joining us here. Bick Nazar and Jamie Dodd filling in for Rintoul and Sermon. It is interesting on the Canucks there, just uh, – you know, the to-do list. He mentions Nate Schmidt and Braden Hopi. It's one thing just to, to remove them, obviously, from the roster, but what holes do you still have to fill in for Vancouver? In Vancouver right now, uh, I look at the four big ones. It's uh, you need a, a right-handed D-man that can play top four. And if you can't get a traditional, hey, that guy's a top four guy, you need like a defensive specialist yeah. to go with Quinn Hughes. So ideally, you just get your traditional top four guy and he plays with Quinn Hughes and you get a power pair. But more importantly, you got to get a defensive-minded guy that can uh, really bring the best out of Quinn Hughes. And hopefully Quinn Hughes gets the best out of him as well. And you need another right shot D-man lower on the roster. you got to get two right-hand D-men. you got to get a number four center. And you need another depth forward, maybe even two, unless you want to, you're still holding out hopes for you know Zach McEwen and Jace Howard look. And the depth forwards, I think, is fairly easy to get done in sure. free agency, right? Like you know, it's not you know, it's not just you choose the guys and they come here, right? They have to agree to it too. All of that. Other teams are interested in them, but the depth forward market is pretty well stocked. You can go out and you can there's find Carter Rownies, they're Mark Jankowski. Yeah, there's, exactly. like, there's those guys that at some point you might be able to. Just they might come to you and say, you know what? The walls are closing in on my free agency. What can I get done on a team that where I might get some playing time? Yeah. The right shot defenseman, obviously much, much more difficult. Right. And you know, the whole idea right now is that, yeah, the Canucks still, because they took on so much salary with Oliver Ekman Larson, they're going to have to pay Connor Garland. And we know about their other RFAs, but okay. They'll move Nate Schmidt and Braden Holtby to free up some of that salary cap space. But I mean, the problem is you got to replace those those minutes right and I mean we're talking about it in terms of Nate Schmidt on the blue line they got to get another top four guy those often don't come cheap but for Brayden Holtby as well you got to find a backup and if you're retaining salary on that transaction you know the cap savings might not be as big as as a lot of fans are expecting but the bigger hole to fill yeah is on the right side of that defense and as you break it down you know at the very least they need guys who can play tough minutes so I wonder if there is still a chance that Travis Hamannick comes back, right? He kind of fits that profile. And then if you don't get it done in kind of the first wave of free agency, do you look at a guy like, you know, Zach Bogosian? He's not going to be back in Toronto. He's a right shot guy. It's not your ideal to pair him with Quinn Hughes, but at least with Quinn Hughes, you kind of think, okay, he can handle all of the offensive work on that pairing. We just need a reliable defensive guy to play with him. Uh, my uh, stomach starts to turn when you mentioned the Zach Bogosian name. I, look, you could go player. down the list of right shot defensemen, man, though. It, it, that's a possibility, right? With the cap situation and with the available guys, it's possible they get to that point. He's a fine player. I just, I, I'm looking at that, and I think the Vancouver Canucks need far more stability. Like this is, to me, that's a bit of a risk to some degree to say I need you to play next to Queen Hughes. You're going to get 25 minutes a night, 23 somewhere around that range. Are you prepared to do that? I get a little bit worried about that. And you might have to go down the trade route instead to say, can we trade a yep. Nate Schmidt to get a three million dollar 
uh, right shot D-man. We'll lose the trade, but the value for us is we get someone who's a more stylistic fit, and we get $2.8 million, something like that, wherever it is. And how do we use that elsewhere on the roster? The, to me, if you're making a Nate Schmidt trade to get a different style right side of D-man, the value you're getting back is in the cap space you get and how you can make that next trade. Yeah, well, they need to open up cap space, obviously, in an H. Schmidt deal. Like, you can't just replace him with a nearly $6 million defense when you haven't accomplished anything then. You need to get cheaper in that spot. Vic Nazar and Jamie Dodd here with you, uh, filling in for Rintoul and Sermon. A couple of people wondering, hey, who are you guys? Uh, into our uh, text message inbox. There you go. Uh, 960, 960. So, look, keeping you up to date on everything that's happening today. Uh, any transactions go down, we are here for you. Uh, as, as, as well as we're waiting for, you know, guys on waivers, guys getting bought out, guys getting traded. We are here to... Guys, guys not getting qualifying offers, potentially? Yes, we're, we're, yeah, we're still waiting on that. We're still waiting on that. I, I see the text coming in here. Uh, 650, 650, 960, 960 as well. Uh, you can keep your thoughts uh, coming in. Uh, Olympics, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that in just a bit. Uh as well moving forward they did get their uh, first gold medal which is massive and uh penny alexiak dominating uh last night now no gold medal but that final kick on that final massive, run there on yeah. the relay right she just kind of showed her supremacy and really want to have a conversation about like right now for canadian athletes hockey stars always get the headlines right and we think super dominant in moments like the Olympics, we see the global stage come out and all these different sports. And, you know, it, you know, usually we have the, the debate around Lou Marsh time of who deserves it. And it's Brooke Henderson. It's this person. It's like you're not watching these sports enough. But in an Olympic year, we are all paying attention. And it just highlights and there's a lot of great athletes in this nation. And there's a good chance she's going to end this summer games as the most decorated summer Olympian in Canadian history, right? And she's, mm -hmm. what, 21? So, it, yeah, we got we to gotta get into Penny Alexiak's performance a little bit. So that's on the way. Keep your thoughts coming in into both inboxes as well. Plus, we'll do winners and losers of the NHL offseason so far. Big Nazar, Jamie Dodd, filling in for Rintoul and Sermon.